You're listening to the Trailblazers Podcast, episode 89, with Tynesha Boyer-Robinson. You're listening to the Trailblazers Podcast, where we will explore the stories of successful Black professionals. Join us as we highlight the knowledge, resources, and tools of these accomplished trailblazers to help provide the know-how, confidence, and motivation you need to blaze your trail. And now, here's your host, Stephen Hart. What's up, Blazonation? Our featured guest today is Tynesha Boyer-Robinson. Ty, as she's affectionately called and referred to, is the president and CEO of Reliance Method. She's a super smart and absolutely funny entrepreneur and author. And as I learned in the setup for this recording, Ty is just determined. We had the mother of all technical difficulties trying to actually get this call recorded. Uh, We spent probably an hour easily just determined not to let our frustrations with the technology get the better of the night, right? And we won. We got the call to happen and you're about to hear our chat in just a minute. Now, before we got into this episode, In last week's episode 88 in the intro, I shared with you that I'm working on something new and that something is somewhat of a workshop style training that I'm putting together. I'm trying to get folks who are busy professionals, who are coaches and consultants and authors, working professionals and creatives. I've realized through this podcast and talking with people having an interest in being my guest that Many of you have done all you need to do to have a solid career and you've worked hard to earn this positive reputation. But truth be told, you don't know and many of you don't have the time to create a supportive online personal brand and being strategic, right? To have that digital footprint that supports all that you are doing in the world. And so... I've come across this time and time again, and I decided to step forward and actually provide a service. So I am hosting a webinar next Wednesday. I believe that's October the 4th at 9 p.m. Eastern. And we're going to walk you through some of the fundamental elements that everyone needs to win with respect to their personal brand development. If you'd like to register, for this webinar, you can hop on over to stevenahart.com and go ahead and click on the webinar link in the top right of our navigation. I'll make sure that the links to register are right there on the homepage of stevenahart.com. So I want you to go ahead and register for that webinar. I look forward to seeing you there and make sure you get there early and I have some great surprises if you stay all the way through to the end. So that said, Let's get set to jump into today's episode and receive some mission feel from our featured guest, Ty Boyer-Robinson. Enjoy. Ty, welcome and thanks for being our featured guest on today's episode. Thank you so much. And hello, Blazer Nation. So. Ty and I have spent the last hour, it's now after nine on a Tuesday night, and we've spent an hour fighting with every ounce of technology to make this recording happen, and we are fighting through giggles, and we're pretty much giddy at this point. But I am so happy that the devil is a liar, (laughs) 
Amen, amen. Is happening right now. So, Ty, you've listened to a few episodes. You know I love to kick things off from a place of gratitude, right? And as you reflect on your life right now, tell us about something that money can't buy that you're most grateful for. So one thing I can attest to is that money can't buy health. And I have been struggling with some health issues over the last three years that really brought me to my knees and made me rebuild myself from the bottom up and think about what is truly important to me and what's supposed to be my purpose in life and how to do that while still being a good mother, being a good wife, being a good friend and sister and daughter. So you can't buy health. And once it's gone, so are you. And it's so true. I've fought with health challenges myself through college. And, you know, once your health goes, there's not much else that is a focus or priority. From what I read about you, you're the first in your immediate family to go to college. Raise the bar, you did. You got a dual degree in electrical engineering and computer science from Duke and an MBA from Harvard Business School. What do you attribute to helping you to realize those educational accomplishments? Well, you can't hold my engineering and technology degrees against me, given how crazy our technology (laughs) was today. But (laughs) that said, you know... I have just been really blessed with people seeing something in me that I didn't see in myself at a very young age. Um, I had a mentor. Her name is Deborah Dean Nelson. And my mother did nails. And Deborah was in the living room. And I came home. I think I was in ninth grade. And Deborah's Deborah's a diva. And Deborah would say she's a diva. So she was all put together, hairs done, nails done. And she said, What's your GPA? I mean, I just walked in, didn't have my really? backpack down. I'm like, what is, what? She said, what's your GPA? And I said, oh, it's a 4.0. And she said, well, where are you going to college? And I said to her, probably to the community college because, you know, I'm the oldest and I need to help take care of my family. And she said to me, oh, no, girlfriend, you're going to go to the best schools ever. And I looked at her like, okay, lady. <laughs> and, and then I kind of went to the back. And put my backpack down. But that moment transformed my life. Wow. And ever since then, I've always had a Deborah, you know, some person at some critical point where I was making an important decision. I was trying to figure out a choice. I didn't know what I didn't know. And they were like angels, modern day angels. And I don't think they always saw themselves that way, Mm -hmm. but they've played that role in my life. So I've been very blessed. Wow. And you're a black woman with a top tier education now in science and tech. Earlier in your career, I know you worked with GE. How did your background in tech and being a black woman both challenge and prepare you for the work that you're doing today? So not only were there not that many black people in tech, but there doggone weren't that many women. So my first internship was actually with NASA. So this is before GE. And that was one of those summer high school programs to you know, have women and people of color focusing on technology. And my project was the space station. Now, don't get me wrong. I was still an intern. So I was making copies and you know following people around and writing notes. Right. But there was something amazing about being with people who just were like, so when we put people on the space station, you know, when we sent people to the moon and impossible was nothing. And so there was something just 
magical about that that got in my blood even before I went to college. So by the time I went to GE, you know, I wasn't working on the space station then. I was working on locomotives. And it was in Erie, Pennsylvania. And my first internship was babysitting a test bed. It was the AC6000 was the name of the engine. And you have to run it constantly to figure out what its failure is, which sounds pretty cool, but it's basically babysitting machinery. (laughs) So you're sitting out there and you're looking at the sensors and you're testing all these things. And most of the people there didn't like me when I started. It was all older white men. And first of all, they didn't like young interns, period. We were a pain in the butt. Thought we knew everything. And they also didn't like engineers because most of them were mechanics and technicians and felt like all the fancy schmancy people with their fancy schmancy degrees came in and tell them what to do, but don't listen to how the real world works. And over the course of that summer, I went from being the person that everyone ignored to the shop floor men who'd been there for 20 years guarding the bathroom when I put on my clean suit. And The reason why is they said I was the first engineer they ever worked with that listened to them, that followed them as much as I followed, you know, the degreed folks, and that I took their voices into consideration as I was learning. And it made them feel that they were respected. And I think that comes from having been on the other side of that in technology for so long, you know what it's like not to be listened to. So how did that impact kind of the move throughout your career from that point? It taught me a lesson that I use to this day, and it doesn't matter whether or not it's engineering or anything else. In fact, there's a section in my book about community engagement and engaging the voices of the customers or the users. And, you know, people with 20 years lived experience are often the first ones ignored, which makes no sense at all. So one, it taught me that. Two, it also taught me that I'm a black woman and you can tell that right away. I also have a very high pitched laugh. (laughs) You're not going to get away with the fact of being a woman. I used to try to hide being a woman and hide being black. In fact, my girlfriends used to tease me when they would call me on the phone when I first started because I would make my voice really low and I'd say, this is GE. But now I embrace my femininity. I embrace being a woman leader and I lead with it without apology. So it taught me that as well. And then I think it also taught me how exciting it is to be on the forefront of innovation and change. And that's basically technology is about disrupting and creating something new out of something that was old or something that didn't exist. And I tend to gravitate towards those types of opportunities. So take me from the transition from, did you move from, I know you went from GE to year up at what point, walk me through the transition that led to Reliance Methods and what you're doing today. Sure. So, you know, like I said, I like being at the forefront of innovation and change. And I found myself a serial entrepreneur, but I found that I'm an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur in existing organizations. So, you know, when I was at GE, I was launching e-business work. And then I was an integration manager at finance. I mean, just completely different opportunities each time. And when I went to business school, I had planned to go back to GE afterwards. I decided to go to business school to see what else was out there. And then every single business school case says, GE is the best company in the world. So I said, oh, well, might as well go back. I will go to Europe over the summer just to learn about social enterprise because that was something that was always important to me. And the board asked me to launch their first 
international expansion site. And that completely changed my trajectory. And getting to work every day with young people aged 18 to 24 and training them in technology and placing them in the same kind of job I had coming out of Duke was amazing. You know, and during that time, I served thousands of young people. I raised $20 million. President Obama came and visited my site, my students. And I just started feeling like, yes, thousands and thousands of young people's lives are better, but we haven't solved the root cause of the problem. And I started Reliance Methods because I wanted to focus on what would it look like to not need a year up? What would it look like to make sure that young people had an opportunity when they graduated or anybody actually? Because Europe was 18 to 24, but I had immediate family members who were much older who were still suffering from an opportunity divide. So what's the experience been like as an entrepreneur now? How long have you actually been running Reliance Method? So I launched it in 2011. And, you know, I've kept it going ever since then. Even when I have other full-time jobs, I've run it on the side and advise my clients to work with some of the, my partners just to make sure that it's a going concern. So it's exciting. It's also, you know, I was thinking about, as I talked about the podcast, wanting to make sure people also knew that it can be scary. It can be exhilarating one day and exhausting another day. Yeah. You can feel successful one day and you can just feel stressed the next. So it's kind of schizophrenic at times, but through Reliance Methods, I helped on a project that led Walmart to change minimum wage. That's huge. Uh, yeah. That made a huge impact on a lot of people's lives that folks wouldn't have known. I've worked on projects with Trammell Crow and real estate to make sure that any development going is actually helping communities and focusing intentionally on the private sector because the private sector has such a different role that it can play in marrying impact and their both financial and social impact. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. You authored your first book, the title of which is Just Change, How to Collaborate for Lasting Impact. What prompted you writing this book? So thank you for saying my first book. That must mean I have another one in me or Absolutely. you want to read another one. Absolutely. So. Claiming that so, for you. <laughs> thank you. Name and claiming. All right. That's right. <laughs> We're going to do that. So a lot of it came from a frustration that so many of the things that people were facing that seemed impossible, remember my ethos of impossible is nothing, had been figured out somewhere else. Right. So, you know, you've got folks banging their head around workforce development or transportation or other issues. And you start to see that there are solutions all around you, but sometimes people don't have access to the information. Sometimes even if they have the access, they don't have the credibility to actually do it. And then sometimes even if they have both of those things, they don't have the resources in order to fuel that change. So I tried to pull together the stories, you know, good, bad, ugly, and the tools that I'd seen over my career since it's been cross-sector to help people see that change is not only possible, but people are doing it all around us and that our world's most intractable problems are actually solvable. So I've heard this term for profit, for good. What does that mean? 
So I am obsessed with for-profit for good. And it's part of how I ended up with Reliance Methods was I have a fundamental belief that you can do well and do good. And there's tons of data now around millennials coming in and demanding that in the marketplace. So it basically means that you shouldn't have to choose between your purpose and profit. You Mm -hmm. shouldn't have to choose between money and meaning. You should be able to build and sustain businesses that make you money, but also make the world a better place. And in 2011, when I first started Reliance Methods, I was all gung-ho and telling everybody that. And people thought I was crazy. They said, you either do one or the other. Is it a nonprofit or is it a for-profit? You don't get to do both. And now fast forward, all sorts of companies are trying to change the way they do business in order to focus on doing well and doing good. And there's actually been reports from the U.S. Trust and Merrill Lynch and others that show now that data has been collected that companies that focus on doing well and doing good actually outperform their peers. Really? Wow. Mm-hmm. So was that part of the work you did for Walmart? Would that have been considered a project for profit for good? Yes. And now that that project's over, I can give a little bit more detail because you have to be really silent when you're working on that kind of stuff. But, you know, Walmart was opening stores in six locations and they had a new strategy around urban market penetration, which is just a fancy way of saying we used to be in the suburbs. Now we want to be in the city. And the issue that they kept running into is the cities often were plagued with really high unemployment and really poor education systems. And so it made their business model not work as well because there is high turnover. Well, they needed to figure out a community-based solution to help with their unemployment issues when they opened a city. And so my project was not just pipelining talent for Walmart by working with local community-based organizations, community colleges, and Frankly, they're competitors. Walmart hosted a convening for Costco to help recruit people even because they realized that they couldn't solve unemployment for a city by themselves. And that's what it means to change for collaborating for a lasting impact, that you can't solve unemployment by one organization. And that was an example of that. Wow. So what's next in the work? What do you see? What do you envision for Reliance Methods? So a great thing that's been going on is not just being able to support private sector companies, as I mentioned before, on how to align their business and community incentives, but there's now this huge wave of money that's changing hands. So there's a $30 trillion wealth transfer from baby boomers to their children who are expecting more impact with their investments. So impact investing. There's also, you know, just in Dallas, and I live in Dallas, there's about $2 billion of assets under management. And there is a wave of more and more foundations shifting their endowment money to go towards impact. So I've been focusing a lot more on impact investing, which is a fancy way of saying, making sure that your investments have both a financial and social return. And that's been really exciting because it means that the marketplace now will have capital following the types of businesses that are growing and blooming that are for profit for good. Uh, This is, I'm processing all of this and this is really new to me and it's new in general, but I thank you for sharing some of this. I'm curious to know, Before starting Reliance Methods, was there anyone that kind of influenced your move? I know you'd shared being exposed to this a bit, but was there anyone that actually influenced 
your move to the social side and social change? You know, I had several friends in business school. And so we, on our own time, started something called the Business Plan for Black America, which I affectionately called Save the Black People when we were in our study rooms (laughs) late at night. But, you know, we had full-time classes and we just said, we are very privileged. And what are we doing to make sure that Black people across the country are advancing in social settings, education, politics, and economics. And for two years, you know, we hammered out research. Um, The NAACP commissioned that study. And I'll never forget, I was in a room and we were always debating a lot of things. And folks were saying, you know, well, we owe it to our communities to do more. And I said, I owe it to my family to make sure I get a job. <laughs> and then everybody else is going to be all right. <laughs> and my business school friends pushed me and said, you aren't acknowledging that you're in a different level of responsibility right now. And you need to switch your mindset now. Now, granted, all my business school friends who are doing that business plan for Black America stuff, they went to the corporate jobs and I went into the social sector. It was a 180. But I know if it hadn't been for the time that we spent working together and trying to hold ourselves accountable to what are we doing to make this world better than we left it, I probably would have just gone back to Fortune 500. What's your advice to someone who may have an interest in looking at this end of the wheel coming out of school, what would your advice to them be? Yeah, people call me about this a lot because I have such an odd background in Mm -hmm. so many different sectors. And one of the first things that I tell people now, for-profit, non-profit, government, philanthropy, the sector doesn't matter. Those are just old schemes, old ways that we used to bucket our lives and bucket ourselves. You know, when you have companies coming out trying to figure out how to solve water, when you have public sector investing in businesses, when you have nonprofits looking to build revenue streams, they're really starting to blur the lines. So it's less about, should I go into the social sector? It's not about what you do. It's about what big problem you solve. So figure out what company, business, institution is solving the problem that you were put on this earth to do and go there regardless of what their tax status is. Love it. So I can't let you off the hook because Blazer Nation loves to hear the resources that you are using on an everyday basis. So tell us about a book just in general that have inspired you most. So I have a handful that I always tell people. So one book that I love is called Switch. It's by the Heath Brothers. And it's, oh, you got to read it. Next time we talk, I'm going to ask if you've read it. (laughs) But one of the reasons why I love it, it's because it's a set of stories on how people made small changes to have a huge impact. And I think you can be so overwhelmed when you're trying to do social impact that you feel like you're boiling the ocean. And Switch is amazing because it shows how small things can lead to big impact. Um, There's another book I love called Drive by Daniel Pink. And I always want to call him Thomas Pink, but I think that's the (laughs) men's clothing store. But I love that book because it's really about tapping into the intrinsic motivation 
of people around you in order to drive change. You can see this change thing is something with me. And then there's this new book that I've been reading that I find fascinating, but it's very, very dense. And it's called The Seventh Sense. (laughs) And it's about the power of networks in driving change. Wow. So if you open your cell phone right now, tell me what app is your go-to right now? Ooh, what's my go-to? I haven't heard you ask that question yet. (laughs) Hmm. You tricked me. You slipped some stuff on me on that one. So I actually use Medium a lot. I post my blog posts on Medium and then Medium condenses other people's blogs for me. So it's a good way for me to read what's going on, follow folks that I like, what they're saying and push my thinking. So Medium. Awesome. It's not very sexy, but that's what it is. I use Medium a bit too. So Ty, before you leave, I got one last request. What's What's one action that our trailblazers hopping off this call should take this week to help them blaze their trail? So the one action, and it might sound huge, but I'm pushing everyone to do it. Think about what is your purpose? And it doesn't have to be saving the world. It can be, you know, your purpose is to make the best cakes ever, whatever the case is. But think about what were you put on this earth to do? And you can tell that by feeling like you're in the zone whenever you do that. And then start giving yourself the action item of taking notes about how you can do more of that with your time and more of that with your day. Because as you start to walk on your purpose, you'll find that opportunity meets you where you are. Love it. Ty, tell our community how we can stay in contact with you and how we can support the book. Yes. So you can go to tyboye.com and there's information to download the book there. You can also follow me on Twitter at tyboye, T-Y-B-O-Y-E-A. And then I'm not a great user of Instagram, but I'm Tynesha B on Instagram and Tynesha B on Facebook. Awesome. Uh, I will be following you and telling all your friends how crazy it was to get a conversation with you. Classic episode. So classic. So classic. Ty, thank you so much for being our guest. It was awesome talking to you. Thank you. This is such a great podcast and I really enjoyed it. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Trailblazers podcast. I'll be posting links to all of today's book recommendations and links mentioned on our show notes page at tdpod.com. If today was your first time listening to the Trailblazers podcast, I just want to extend a warm Trailblazers welcome to you. We're so happy to have you here and we encourage you to go ahead and hit that subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. Go ahead and browse through some of our past episodes to keep the knowledge flowing. If you're a fan of the podcast and today's content, and you're maybe already subscribed to the podcast, please continue to share and invite your friends, your family, your colleagues to listen to an episode that you think might impact them most. We believe that someone listening to these inspiring stories will be moved to make significant changes that will have generational impact for many others, both now and well into the future. Don't miss next week's episode. New episodes are released each and every Monday by about 5 a.m. Eastern. Trailblazers, jump off this podcast today. Go find a way to rise above, go way beyond, and keep blazing your trail. Cheers. Cheers.